Hey girl, welcome to the Empower Her podcast, where we are all about taking purpose-driven action toward building lives we really freaking love. My name's Keisha, and I'm an entrepreneur obsessed with giving you actual tools to help take you from where you are now to where you want to go in your life, career, and relationships. And this podcast, it's all about real talk and having some fun as we share incredible stories, tips, and tricks to help us get out of our own way and unapologetically make some moves. So girlfriend, let's do the damn thing. Girl, I am so excited that you're here for this interview because we have on the show Alex Benayan. And if you're not familiar with Alex, he is a best-selling author and keynote speaker, and he's actually the youngest best-selling business author in American history. And what's so interesting is I've actually wanted to have him on the show since before I even launched. He was on my dream guest list because I'm obsessed with his book, The Third Door. And now three years later, we finally made it happen. You're going to be able to tell in this interview my ridiculous amount of enthusiasm for this guy and how giddy I am. Um, I just think you're really going to like him. And the whole episode has this really raw and honest feel to it. We talk about a broad range of topics like fear, perfectionism, developing relationships, um, being really authentic and transparent. And at the root of it all, always finding a way to make your dreams happen. If you don't know Alex's story, the day before his freshman year of college, like the final exams that he had for freshman year, he hacked getting on the prices right. He won the entire like showcase showdown including a sailboat, which he sold and then used the prize money to fund his quest to learn from some of the most successful people in the world. And he turned it into his book, The Third Door. So this interview is going to have you laughing, maybe even feel a little bit emotional at times because it's so inspiring to hear what he's done and how he takes his knowledge and just really wants to spread it to everyone, including you, to help you take action on your big dreams. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Alex, I am so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much for having me. I'm so happy we can make this happen. Finally. Yes. It's been a long time coming. I know we've been trying to make this happen for a while. I know. Yeah. Like I mentioned to you, you were one of the first people that I wanted to have on the show because your book, The Third Door, is one of my favorite books ever. And I think you are one of the best storytellers. And what's so cool about your story is a lot of things that women that listen into this podcast connect with of not knowing what's next, having to be resourceful, having to kind of make the next best step and feeling a lot of people right now, especially this time of year, this season of life, they're feeling really unsure of, of what's going to be a way for them to build the fulfilling life they're really excited about. So can you first kind of just tee up? I want you to go. It feels like it's so long ago from the research (laughs) that you did to build the book. But for people that don't know the premise of the book, I would love if you could just explain the stage of life that you were in when you Mm -hmm. started it. And in particular, I'd also love to hear just like other people's perception of you doing this thing that seems really crazy. So take us all the way back then and kind of like set the stage there. So the context is I've spent the past 10 years obsessively studying success. So I've spent thousands of hours researching, going through hundreds of biographies and, you know, most importantly, sitting down one-on-one and asking questions to the people I was dying to get answers from. 
So for business, I interviewed Bill Gates. For music, Lady Gaga. For science, Jane Goodall. For poetry, Maya Angelou. Uh, Jessica Alba, Quincy Jones, Steve Wozniak, Larry King. It's been this really exciting journey filled with, you know, extremely surprising lessons at every turn. But in order to, like you said, in order to give a little context to how the whole journey got started, I have to take you back 10 years. And as you know, I was 18 years old, a freshman in college. And I was spending every day on my dorm room bed, staring up at the ceiling. And, you know, I don't know how many people listening to this have gone through the what I want to do with my life crisis, but I was going through it and it was hitting me really hard. And to understand why I was going through it, you have to understand that I'm the son of Persian Jewish immigrants. Yeah. Which pretty much means when I came out of the womb, my mom cradled me in her arms and then she stamped MD on my behind and sent me on my way. You know, so in third grade, I wore scrubs to school for Halloween and thought I was cool. You know, that was my childhood. And in high school, I checked all the boxes. I studied for the SATs, took all the biology classes. I even went to pre-med summer camp. So by the time I get to college, you know, I'm the pre-med of pre-meds. But very quickly, I find myself lying on my dorm room bed, looking at this towering stack of biology books, feeling like they're sucking the life out of me. And at first I assumed, you know, maybe I'm just being lazy. But eventually I began to wonder, maybe I'm not on my path. Maybe I'm on a path somebody's placed me on and I'm just rolling down. So now not only do I not know what I want to do with my life, I had no idea how the people who I looked up to, how they did it. And how did Bill Gates sell his first piece of software out of his dorm room when nobody knew his name? How did Spielberg become the youngest director in Hollywood history without a single hit under his belt? This is what no one teaches you in school. So I just assumed there had to be a book with the answers. So I remember just going through the library and just, you know, ripping through, you know, business books, biographies, self-help books, assuming there had to be a book, you know, not on a particular age, but really a stage. When you have a big dream, and this is where you help people with all the time, so you know this better than anyone, when you have a big dream, no one's taking your calls, no one's taking your meetings, how do you find a way to break through? Mm -hmm. And eventually, I was left empty-handed. So that's when my naive 18-year-old thinking kicked in. I thought, well, no one's reading the book I'm dreaming of reading. Why not write it myself? And I thought it'd be super simple. I thought I'd just call Bill Gates, interview him, interview everybody else, and be done in a few months. That, I assumed, would be the easy part. The hard part I figured was getting the money to fund this journey. You know, I was buried in student loan debt. I was all out of bar mitzvah cash. So there had to be a way to make some quick money. So two nights before final exams, I'm in the library doing what everyone does in the library right before finals. I'm on Facebook. And, <laughs> you know, I'm on Facebook and I see somebody offering free tickets to the Price is Right. And for some reason, the first thought that entered my head was, and I was going to school in Los Angeles, not too far from where the show filmed. And the first thought that entered my head was, what if I go on the show and win some money to fund this book? You know, not my bright- is there any Is there any part in your head that's like, like, does this feel very certain? Like this could totally work. Or, or is there any part of you that's like, is this a crazy idea? No, the, 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 the immediate thought after when it, it entered my head as a possibility, and the immediate thought was, "I'm an idiot." Yeah, like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot for even considering it. You know, yeah. I had finals in two days. Plus, on top of that, I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. You know, <laughs> I'd seen bits. Part. You know, I'd seen bits and pieces of the Price Is Right when I was a kid, homesick from school in fourth grade. 
I knew what it was about, but I never watched it, you know, start to finish. So I told myself it was a dumb idea to not think about it. But I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where an idea keeps clawing at your mind. Um, so to prove to myself this was a bad idea, I remember taking out my notebook and writing, you know, best and worst case scenarios, you know, to prove to myself it was a bad idea. And I remember writing, you know, worst case scenarios, fail finals, get kicked out of pre-med and lose financial aid. Mom stops talking to me. Mom kills me. You know, there's like, <laughs> there's like 20 cons. And the only pro was maybe, maybe win enough money to fund this dream. And it's almost as if somebody had had a rope around my gut and was slowly pulling in a direction. So that night, I decided to do the logical thing and pull an all-nighter to study. But I didn't study for finals. I said I had to hack the prices right. And I went on the show the next day and did this ridiculous strategy and ended up winning the whole showcase showdown, winning a sailboat, selling that sailboat, and that's how I funded the book. That's so fun. Like, I, I remember just reading that in the book thinking, like, this is the best story ever. <laughs> like, so crazy. And, okay, so then, so now you're at this point. You've, you've won this sale, the showcase showdown. You're like, yeah. what the heck? I actually won. This worked. So now are you telling your Persian parents about this dream now at this point? No, are you no. the last people who I could tell that I was considering even flirting with the idea of leaving this path? was that yeah. Uh, yeah. and that fear uh, it's very normal for people to say what's wrong with me why can't i tell my husband that i'm thinking of quitting mckinsey why can't i tell my yeah. best friends that i am not happy at work well sometimes we rightly so sense that those relationships might not be the safest to share this this thought with and sometimes yeah. our fear is correct. Sometimes our fear is uh, blown out of proportion, but the fear is real. Yeah. And back then, obviously, as you're navigating this and then you end up writing this book about your adventures, which we're going to dive into, but you then um, didn't have the knowledge that you have now and the <laughs> career and like the experience that you've had to yeah. now you navigate people that don't understand your vision now. What, how do you process it now versus then? Ooh, that's a good question. Now versus then is because I know how I processed it then, which was yeah, I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I on this podcast we talk about sometimes you have to have a good ugly cry where your snot and your mascara get together in your mouth and you're on your bathroom floor. So that's like kind of part of it. So that's okay. Um, <laughs> but for you now, after because now you've seen like that did pay that. off. I resonate with that. <laughs> I like literally like two weeks. ago was talking to my sister. I'm like, man, I haven't cried in a while. I feel real stuck. <laughs> but sometimes you do need to let it out, you know? It's um, good for you. It is yeah, good for so you. Yeah, so now, so someone's like, Alex, oh, you've got this vision of the things that you want to do. If, if someone were to tell you that they didn't understand it, and obviously I know at this point you understand the importance of curating an environment around you that's conducive to your growth and more supportive. But if someone doesn't get it, how do you, how do you kind of brush that off as a human? Okay, this is good. This is, this is actually helpful for me to think about because this is an important, I'm in that phase because I'm working on some new projects. Yeah. And this is important for me to, in my head, think about it. You know what? I never was aware of this, but I sort of have started, you know, I, I'm lucky in the sense that I've been on the, the path that I'm on for about 10 years yeah. now. Uh, people's, I sort of fall into two buckets. There's, and when someone's a naysayer, I can sort of 
somewhat fairly quickly and not perfectly, but understand where they're coming from. Ooh, I actually had a tough experience a few weeks ago, literally on this topic. Okay, so there's the bucket where, now look, I'm very, 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 very aware to remind myself and anyone who's listening who is making a big change in your life, you don't, when you're first doing this, you don't know who's in which bucket. So there's the first bucket of the people who shit on you because they shit on themselves. Yeah. And first of all, they never tell you that. They tell you they're being smart and logical and you're being crazy. So that's the, that's the danger of that bucket. Um, it's the, it's the people who, and by the way, they could love you with all their heart. They are not mutually exclusive. They could genuinely think they have your best interest in mind, which they might even have their best interest in mind, but it still doesn't stop them from projecting their fear, their shame, their, um, not good enough, their imposter syndrome on you. Mm -hmm. Essentially, whatever your idea is actually becomes a threat to them. Yeah. Either a threat to how they feel about how they've lived their lives or a threat to like, if I, I see it in friend groups a lot, um, there's this, I don't know. It's, I'm not Australian, but I have an Australian friend that said there's like a, a saying, and I'm probably butchering this. It's going to be embarrassing that like, you don't get too tall kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like the crab pot analogy, right? Where like, if someone's trying to get out of the pot and it's like, you want to bring them back in because you think that you're going to protect them and keep them safe or because no one's gotten out. So we don't want them to get out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That whole knowledge, yeah. Knowledge. So that's one, yeah. but you know, crab pots are good. Now that is one bucket where, um, right. It's essentially their fear. Like yeah. the ne- pretty much whatever, like negative response you're getting on your dream can be traced back to their fear, their shame, their insecurity, yeah. um, their regrets that they didn't follow their dreams when they were younger, wh- whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Um, their lack of belief in themselves. So they, you know, their unprocessed failures, you know, maybe they did go after their dream. They moved out to LA to be an actress and it didn't work out. So they tell you, oh, you're naive for wanting to get into Hollywood, whatever. Right. And they never process that fully. Okay. So that's one bucket, which is a very hard bucket because they never tell you they're in that bucket. They actually tell you they're in the polar opposite bucket, which is logical and smart. So that's bucket number one. (laughs) Bucket number two is someone who's actually telling you this isn't going to work or this is, I would consider this differently, or this is a bad idea. Uh, because there's actually some holes in your thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's tricky. And what I'll tell you is I've gotten pretty good at knowing who's who. Um, It's tricky, though. The one thing that's surprising for me at this point, like 10 years into my journey, is and then there's a group three, which is they're all for the idea. They don't poke holes into your logic. They actually help build the logic. They add to it. Those are like the dream friends, the dream supporters, dream mentors. Um, If you can count them on your fingers, you're lucky. Right. What is tricky is people change. People go into different phases in life. Mm-hmm. You could have yeah. met someone when they were single and chasing their dreams too, and they were in that third bucket of supporting you. 
And then, you know, 10 years later, they now have four kids, are miserable, are stuck in their own life. And this person you used to turn to for uplifting encouragement is now like seeing the world through a really, you know, restrictive lens. Um, Well, even like a season or state that someone's in too, right? Because it's like, if someone's in a bad season. They just went through a breakup, their advice for you is Right. And so it's it's also like those unicorn friends or mentors that even if they're going through a tough season, that they can still cheer you on where those people get like extra gold stars because that's really difficult to do as a human in general, you know? Yeah. So- to the person listening into this podcast who has something right now, because like kind of just the season of the world um, where a lot of people are trying things out. They're like, wait, is this career path that I'm actually in right now aligned? The woman that has an idea and she's listening, but she is not taking action because she's waiting until it's quote unquote perfect, until it's ready, until like, how were you able to get yourself to kind of like take action even when it was so messy? Because we're going to dive back into kind of the book and stuff, but you've had this pattern for the last 10 years of like, okay, I'm going to go do this, right? That's that's at least the the feeling that I got reading your book yeah. was like, you're hiding in bathroom stalls, like you're doing all this crazy stuff right. to make this happen. Like, how do, how do you get yourself past that? perfectionist tendency that we also have of wanting to not have other people judge us or whatever, you know, wherever that stems from. Yeah. Which is normal. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. You're a normal functioning human being. (laughs) You have tens of thousands of years of evolution coding your current responses. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, And I say that without sarcasm. I literally mean congratulations. Like if you're you're afraid of achieving if you're afraid of leaving the nest and going after your dreams, like you are a normal functioning human being. That's part of it. That is part of the entrepreneurial journey. I'm a, I at times can be lazy and a procrastinator, even though I can have a want something so bad. And I've just learned that if I make three little easy things, I call them my low hanging fruit. Yeah. I'm not a believer. Some people have, there's this phrase like eat the frog, like do the hard thing first or build the habits, do the, (laughs) take the ice plunge. I am not that person. God bless the other people who love, wake up at 5 a.m., take an ice bath and start your day. Uh, uh, God, no, give me a a jacuzzi. Give me, uh, you know, give me a blanket. Give me a fireplace. That's me. <laughs> so at the same time, though, I do have dreams and I do have things I, I aspire to grow into. Um, so for me, when I find myself hesitating or resistance to just get started, I ask myself, okay, out of the dozens and when it's a dream and you're doing something new for the first time, there's dozens, about hundreds of things you should, could be doing. Yeah. I ask myself, what are the three easiest things? Yeah. Not the things that like move the needle the most. Not the I, I remember when I was launching the third door. That was an that was an experience of extreme paralysis. Mm-hmm. Of such there, it was such, it was actually more terrifying to launch the third door for me than it was to go after an interview with Bill Gates, because the reality was, you know, the I wasn't obligated to other people for that interview. If the interview didn't work out, I would be crushed. But, you know, the third door felt like there were more stakes because I had been working on the book for seven years. I had dropped out of college. My immigrant parents had cried over it. My 
publisher had to stake the reputation. I, you know, there was all this. I literally told everyone I've ever met for seven years, this is going to be huge. Like, so all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, it better be huge, you know? Um, which is, a, I know a story I made up in my head, but that's how it felt. Yeah. Uh, and I remember just being on the one hand, seeing like the shot clock, like counting down. Um, I remember even just like six months out, it was like six months, five months. Boom. Like you're start, yeah. you're getting there and yeah, the paralysis was very real. And I had to, had to have my only antidote. Yes. I went to therapy. Yes. I talked about it with friends. The only thing I was able to do to essentially get the tires out of the mud was I would make a list of three little things. Yeah. I could do that day to move the ball forward. Um, And then for book launch specifically, I also had three big things that if I did this month, this month would be a success. Because the problem, especially when you're starting something new, is there's so many things you could be doing. I remember having to tell myself by month five, the level of anxiety was so much that I, I felt like I was drowning in things I wasn't doing. I had to tell myself I declare bankruptcy. I admit right now, I, the day the book will come out, there will be 80% of the to-do list that wasn't checked off. What are the 20% of things on the to-do list that I can do mm-hmm. and that will make a difference? Yeah. Because the only thing it, worse than not doing everything is doing nothing. That right there. I think often like why it's so powerful is because it's so simple. And if you actually do that, it, it makes you like get that hit to move in the right direction, right? That momentum at your back where I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. And a lot of women that listen into the show, they go to bed every single night with this massive to-do list and every single day they right. feel like they're failing because it's like they, Beyonce and her entire team couldn't like do your to-do list. And like, you're also raising two kids and you're trying to build a side business and you're working a corporate job. And it's like, holy crap, like that's so much. So it's like, it sounds like it's simple, but if implemented, that's so damn powerful yeah. to give yourself that confidence boost of not necessarily doing the big thing first. Cause maybe the big thing feels really freaking tough. And you're in a season right now where humaning is hard enough for you that like a tiny little, like hit of something in the right direction is going to make you feel like you're making progress, which I think is huge. Right. And that's still applicable to anything that you're doing at any stage of life. It's just asking yourself, what is that criteria? Right. So I love that. Yeah. And again, going back to like giving us some grace and some compassion for ourselves, like for a lot of, I can speak for myself growing up, all of our neuroses as adults, you can sort of trace back to childhood in the sense of like, oh, wow. Yeah, I guess I did go to a kind of school where if you didn't do all of your homework and you didn't get all A's, you were considered not a smart kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. struggling. And it's like what you were rewarded from. Like, so my, as I was telling you, my fiance is Persian, grew up with the, you know, immigrant first generation parents here. Um, he was be a doctor, be a this, be a this, and then got to this place in his career where he's like, I don't want to be a dentist anymore. I want to go do something completely different versus I grew up um, celebrated for trying things. So my career path is like, whoa, like all over the place, like this crazy line, but it's so much of it is derived from like, who told you that that was the right path? What, what environment to your point? Like, how did you, what was your school like even growing up? And it's like, when we take the time to kind of process the root well, of it. What TV shows I, did you watch? It's that crazy. Exactly. Yeah. I that love that. Crazy. 
I hope you are loving this conversation with Alex. I had to pop in here and make sure that you know if you are building a side business in 2022 and you want to feel excited about the pursuit of getting where you want to go and aligned and really do it your way, you've got to know about Side Biz School. We just launched on Sunday, January 2nd, our brand new online business training program and community. And if you're listening to this episode in real time, you definitely want to check out Side Biz School so you can take part of our epic founder perks. Because if you're wanting to grow and scale your business, but actually really get excited about the process of getting where you want to go, that is my mission with Side Biz School. As a member, you get access to a business roadmap that you can take at your own pace, where I literally pour into you and teach all of the fundamentals of business so you can customize your own unique business journey because how you should do it is going to look different than other people. You also get an interactive 125-page workbook that's physically mailed to you, especially if you're a pen and paper kind of girl. This is going to be your jam. We have monthly Zoom meetups for our community where we do Q&A with me, but also break you into small groups so you get to know other women that are also building side businesses. In addition, in our portal, we have monthly masterclasses that are taught by experts in the field around building your side business on Pinterest, LinkedIn, social media, copywriting, constant content is uploaded to your portal so that you can watch it whenever you want because I want you to get to continue to learn and grow. And what's so cool about Side Biz School is it's an opportunity for you to connect with me, but also with women from all across the globe that are building a side business. We have all sorts of cool ways that you can connect through our customized portal to do skill swaps, co-working. And honestly, as a founding member, you get lifetime access for a one-time fee. So you're going to get to take part in all of the cool things coming down the pipeline. Basically, this is the place to be if you want sustained enthusiasm building your business to have me and a whole hype squad cheering you on every step of the way. It's not always going to be easy, but we can make this more simple and fun. I really believe that to be true. So if you want more deets, make sure you text SCHOOL to 512-548-2728. Again, text SCHOOL to 518-548-2728 before we close registration for this quarter. And then you got FOMO and that's not fun for anyone. So also, if you're not on the text list or you aren't in the US, you can always DM me over on Instagram and we can chat more details about Cypress School. Hope to see you in there, girl. Now, without further ado, let's dive back into the show. Okay. So Alex, because I'm obsessed with your book, I want to go back to like explaining (laughs) for people that have not checked out the third door. I want them to understand why it's so cool. And I want to hear like, what are like, maybe just like one or two of your favorite, either like pieces of advice with like a little story. Cause I can like hang on your every word. And right now there's a girl who's running or walking her dog who just like needs to hear like a good story with like a little, little advice nugget in it. So can you give us like one or two of your of your favorite ones from the book. You interviewed a ton of cool people. Definitely. Um, First of all, you make me smile. You're so nice. (laughs) You're fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. Um, It it doesn't, uh, it doesn't wash over me. It feels like I'm breathing that in. So thank you for saying that. Of course. Um, You know, first of all, for people who don't, because we didn't dive into third door analogy in and of itself. So pretty much after the price is right, the journey got started, right? So it took, Mm you know, two years to get the interview with Bill Gates, three years to get the interview with Lady Gaga. And when I had started, there was no part of me looking for that, you know, one key to success. 
you know, we've all seen those TED Talks or those business books, and normally I, I roll my eyes. But what ended up happening over seven years of interviews is I started realizing every single one of these people treated life and business and success the exact same way. And the analogy that came to me is that it's sort of like getting into a nightclub. Mm-hmm. There's always three ways in. So there's the first door, the main entrance, where the line curves around the block, where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. And we all know that line, you know, people standing out in the cold, line curves around the block, they're hoping the bouncer lets them in. That's the first door. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities go through. And for some reason, school and society have this way of making us feel like those are the only two ways in. You either wait your turn or you're born into it. But what I've learned, and what I'm sure you've seen in your own careers, there's always, always the third door. And it's the entrance where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen, there's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Bill Gates sold his first piece of software, how Lady Gaga got her first record deal, they all took the third door. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite stories from the whole journey takes place a few years in. And, you know, of course, of course, of course, when you spend seven, 10 years studying success, persistence is a natural theme that comes up. Mm-hmm. But there was one moment in particular that completely changed my understanding of how it actually works in the business world. So this story takes place a few years in to the journey. And right before this situation, you know, what's important to know is the third door wasn't a random series of events. Everything that happened, there was something that happened right before it. And right before this situation, what you need to know is there was a disastrous situation with Warren Buffett. And, you know, as everyone knows, the most successful investor in financial history. And I pretty much spent six months writing letters to him, asking for an interview. And all of the answers were no, but he would handwrite responses back. It was this whole thing. And I ended up going to Omaha, Nebraska, hacking his shareholders meeting and asking my questions to him in front of 30,000 people. And it blew up in my face and was this giant disaster. And it was one of those situations where I wanted to just crawl into bed and pull the covers over my head and just hide from the world. And that's essentially what I did. And this was definitely one of the lowest points of the entire journey. And this is where our story begins. So after a couple of weeks of me hiding in bed and pulling the covers over my head, um, I have a, you know, and if there is a theme of this whole journey, it's that whenever I was at my lowest points, it'd be my best friends who would pull me back up. Yeah. And I have this one friend by the name of Corwin. And after I was sulking for a couple of weeks, he realized I needed to get my spirits back up. So he's like, hey, man, let's go grab some lunch. I was like, okay, fine. You know, I was just, uh, I was just in one, in one of those sulky moods and I was like, okay, fine. And we go to this grocery store in Los Angeles and we go get some sandwiches at the deli counter and we're sitting on the sidewalk, eating our sandwiches, watching the cars pass by. And my friend Corwin's like, don't you, you know, don't you have any other interviews lined up? You know, he's just trying to get my spirits up. I'm like, dude, I got nothing. You know, I'm in a real bad mood. He says, come on, you know, let's say you had an interview, you know, who would you want to talk to? I said, look, man, look at what happened with Buffett. Even if I had an interview lined up, I'd probably mess that up too. And Corey goes, listen, bro, you can't be so hard on yourself. Interviewing isn't a science, it's an art. 
And as we're talking about this, the single most miraculous moment of the entire journey happens. Car pulls up, parks right in front of me in the loading zone. The door swings open and out walks Larry King. It like gives me chills. It's like you were supposed to be there in that exact moment. That's so cool. But if you're anything like me, when things line up so perfectly like that, that's actually when I get the most nervous. Yeah. And I give that feeling a name. I, you know, I call it the flinch. It's that feeling when your throat tightens up, your mouth is wired shut, your feet turn to stone. And I remember sitting there on that sidewalk, watching Larry King walk right past me, right into the grocery store's sliding doors. And I don't say a thing. My friend Corin, you know, jabs his elbow into me. He's like, dude, why didn't you say anything? And this is the thing about fear. Fear is very good at making logical excuses. Mm-hmm. Fear is very good at making logical excuses. So, of course, my fear made a good excuse. I said, oh, he's probably grabbing something in the grocery store for his family. You know, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to be that kind of guy. And Corin goes, dude, you are that guy. So... <laughs> I love Corwin. <laughs> I love Corwin too. He deserves all the love. So, you know, of course, my fear made up some more excuses. I said, oh, he's probably, he's probably deep into the grocery store now. There's no way I'll be able to find him. And Corwin goes, dude, he is 80 years old. How far can he go? <laughs> so very reluctantly, I stand up and walk into this grocery store looking for Larry King. And, you know, I walk over to the bakery section, no Larry. I jog over to the produce section, you know, fruits, vegetables, no Larry. And I figure at that point, wait, he had parked in the loading zone. So he must be leaving any second now. So finally, this bolt of adrenaline kicks in. And now I start running down the aisles, looking down each one, you know, no Larry, no Larry, no Larry, no Larry. I'm cutting down the frozen food section. He's not there. And I figured he's got to be at the checkout counter. So now I'm sprinting to the checkout counter and I'm looking down each one. No, Larry, no, Larry, no, Larry, no, Larry. And at that point, I wanted to kick myself because he had been right in front of me and I hadn't said a thing. So I'm now walking out of this grocery store through this parking lot, staring down at my feet. And slowly I lift my gaze. And right there, 20 feet in front of me, is Larry King suspenders and all <laughs> and the imagery is so good <laughs> yeah i can i can still close my eyes and see this and i remember this feeling like rumbling in the pit of my stomach almost if all this pent-up frustration was combusting and i started yelling at the top of my lungs uncontrollably you know mr king <laughs> And the echo in the parking lot was so loud. I will always remember Larry King essentially jumping up in the air, turning around, every wrinkle in his face sprung back as if, you know, he was, you know, looking at the Grim Reaper. He was terrified. And I didn't know what to do at this point. It was so awkward. I just sort of like ran over to him and I was like, Mr. King, Mr. King, I'm so sorry. You know, my name's Alex. I'm, you know, I'm 20 years old. I've always wanted to say hi. And he goes, okay, hi. And he starts walking the other way. Now I'm like, awkwardly following him in silence, trying to think of something intelligent to say to save the situation. You know, I dug myself into a deep hole at this point. And now we're out on the sidewalk. He's, you know, stuffing his groceries into the trunk. He opens the driver's side door and I go, wait, Mr. King, can I go to breakfast with you? 
And he looks at me like I'm a lunatic. But before he can respond, he looks around and sees there's about a dozen people on the sidewalk watching this go down. And I'll never fully know why, but he sort of just shrugs his shoulders and goes, okay, 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 okay. I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. Great. You know, I'll see you tomorrow. And, you know, he tells me where to meet him and I'm so happy. And he gets into the car. He's about to shut the door. And I go, wait, Mr. King, what time? He just looks at me and slams the door shut. I'm thinking, you know, maybe he didn't hear me. And I'm like shouting through the window, you know, Mr. King, what time? And he looks at me again and just starts the engine. I am now waving my arms frantically in front of his windshield, begging, you know, Mr. King, what time? And he just looks at me and goes, nine o'clock. And he speeds off. Now, the moral of the story is not to chase anyone through a grocery store, particularly not in a year like this. The moral of the story comes next. So the next morning comes around. And I walk into this bagel restaurant in Los Angeles. And sure enough, right there, corner table, is Larry King and his best friends. And there was actually an open seat at the table. But I had had some time to reflect the night prior about how I had acted the day before. And I thought today, maybe I'll take a different approach and be a bit more gentle. (laughs) So... I, you know, walk very gently over to the table and I put a hand up in the air and I say, hey, uh, good morning, Mr. King. And he just looks up and mumbles and, uh, you know, sort of mumbles me away. And I figure, okay, maybe he wants a few minutes alone with his friends before he's ready. So I saw there was a table next to him that was open. I sit down at that table and I wait. 10 minutes go by, 20 minutes pass, an hour passes, but then Finally, he stands up and starts walking toward me. And I can feel my cheeks lifting. And then he walks right past me and heads for the exit. And I sort of just put a hand up in the air and I was like, Mr. Mr. King? And he goes, what is it, kid? What do you want? And at that point, I felt a very sharp and familiar pain in my chest. I just looked at him. I said, honestly? I just wanted some advice on how to interview people. And the slow smile spreads across his face, almost as if to say, you know, why didn't you just say so? Yeah. And he ends up giving me the greatest monologue of interview advice I've heard in my entire life. And at the end of it, he looks up to the ceiling as if he's debating something in his mind. And then he looks back at me, locks his eyes onto mine, puts a finger in my face and goes, all right, kid, tomorrow, nine o'clock, see you here. And I show up the next morning at nine o'clock. You know, he waves me over to the breakfast table. He asked me why I even wanted to learn how to interview people. I tell him about my book. He goes, all right, I'm in. And over the course of the next five years, I went to breakfast with him over 50 times. How amazing. Like when you tell that, so after, I know it's been a while since that happened, but when you tell that story, are you like, damn, I am so proud of that, like, eager like 20 year old that was like in such a crappy state that was like fine i'll chase you down in a parking lot and, like yell and wait you know like you did that i appreciate it do you know what's funny i appreciate that it might be right it might be wrong i don't know but the way my brain works is i just think about corwin every time i tell yeah. that story yeah. because it, a part of the story is my instinct to want to mm-hmm. you know pacify myself a little 
And even yeah. though I had the intention, even though I was already working on the book for two years, I knew Larry King was a dream person I wanted to interview. And it was right in front of me. I came up with a Yeah. And by the way, I think, again, it's a normal response. What I'm so grateful for, what I actually am proud of myself for, is when I met Corwin a couple of years earlier when we were in fr- when we were freshman year in college, I was like, this is the kind of guy I want to be friends with. And that I, I do, I, I am proud of myself of. So it's a combination of both too, because at the same time, in order for him to want to be friends with you, you had to show up in the relationship too, for you guys to, to, for him to be like, Alex, I know you're, I know who you are because you've showcased who you are. So on that, I do think it's really important and a reflection, like last question that I'll move to a couple of us because I want to be sensitive of your time, but there's a lot of people that struggle with curating an environment around them that's conducive to their growth. And that's the thing that like you recognize your friendships so much in your book. And obviously even right now with Corwin, right? Like we should have brought Corwin on the show too, Um, but truly, but truly how, how do you curate an environment of friendships and pour into these friends? Like, so that you can have this people because you're, you're crediting this journey of like staying after it so much to these influential people that you've been close with. How does someone who's like, Alex, I wish I had a Corwin or Alex, I don't have people around me that get it. How, how do you build that type of community? How do you continue to do that? Wow. The answer that just came to me, like made my stomach sink. Um, And it's not the answer I probably would have given a few years ago. Yeah. Okay. There's the obvious stuff. There's the obvious, obvious stuff, which is, you know, reach out to people you like, blah, 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 blah. Let's talk about the hard stuff. Mm. It takes two to tango. Yes. Yeah. Find your Corwin, find your Kevin, find your Andre. You know, I have all these guy friends that I love. Uh, At the same time, it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. where yes, they need, there's some people who just don't have it in them to be supportive, to be incurred. Great. But that's only one side of the street. Mm-hmm. The other side of the street that you have control over is like Corwin knew at that point, we had already spent two years. He knew that this was my dream. He knew that I had sacrificed everything for this. He knew Also, how sad I was at that point. He knew how stuck I felt. That takes courage. Yeah. That takes courage. If I had told Corwin, oh, everything's great. Like, oh, no, I don't care about what happened with Warren Buffett. And if I was sitting on that sidewalk saying like, oh, no, dude, everything's going great. Things are working out. I got some interviews. If I had lied in order to look good to my friend. I don't know if he actually, it's crazy. I've never, I don't know if he would have been like, dude, come on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how often do you hear the narrative of like, this person doesn't support me, but there's two parts to that. They might not know what support looks like because to your point, you're not being transparent and honest about the hard stuff. And number two, you might not be supporting them and you're expecting them to support you. So like, there's there's two aspects yeah yeah there's you know there's two sides of the street and Mm -hmm. yeah i think a big thing too especially when things when things are new for anyone we're all human beings we're it's not like look when we're kids we have this desire that are in this fantasy that our parents are just pre-programmed to know exactly all of our needs then we get into adulthood and we get continually disappointed Mm -hmm. Um, i remember when my dad got diagnosed with cancer five years ago 
these friends that were so supportive in other parts of my life, I was starting to feel disappointed, like they weren't showing up in certain ways. I was lucky to know and have a deep belief. They love me and want to support me. Like I had that story in my head. Some people sadly have other stories they have to work on, but I had that story. They, I, so I could hold both. I'm feeling disappointed like that, that they're not showing up or not present or not asking about how I'm feeling. They're not checking in, but I also know they love me and want to support me. Mm-hmm. And essentially I was like, I'm not going to, it was getting too painful for me to sit back and hope they just like roll the dice and figure out how to show up in the way I want to show up. And I remember it was like awkward conversations of me being like, Hey, best friend of 10 years. Can you call me more and specifically say, I know you're struggling. How can I help? Can you call my mom and tell her you love her? Like, yeah, um, I remember my dad's funeral. I called my best friend, Kevin. I'm like, this is so awkward to say, but can you make sure you're 30 minutes early? Wow. This is like crazy to like go back and think yeah. about. Um, I thank you for sharing that. Um, because what I didn't mention to you is also my fiance, Sina, who left dentistry, who is Persian too, just lost his dad four months ago uh, from so cancer. Sorry. So I think, but it's really powerful. You sharing, like ha- being so transparent and vulnerable and honest about your story and, and all of this, like the work that you put into building these relationships with people that are going to support you and all the work that you put into the third door and the work that you're doing in the world and the things that you're excited about, people need to see themselves in your story. Right. And like, I think all of us have that example to the mom of two listening to this, who doesn't like her career path and wants to make a change. Someone needs to see someone in your exact situation, make a change or do that thing. So thank you for even being brave enough to talk about this on the show, but also with your relationships with people, because that models what male relationships can look like, which is important too. Right. Yeah. So now, the reason I, I, first of all, again, I'm thinking of, I've seen his father. Um, it's so tough, especially in a time like this. It's really tough. Yeah. I can't imagine. Um, you know, at the same time, based on what you just said, going back to what we, how the question started, and I said there was a sinking feeling in my stomach. Yeah. This is the other side of this equation, which is if you show up and really are real about how you're doing and that you're struggling and that you could use some more this and some more that. And it's, if you're honest about where you're at and what your needs are, it, do you know why most people don't do that? Because they rightfully know it puts the relationship at risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so real. Why do oh, I love that? Why do it always blows my mind? Like someone's dating for seven years and then they finally realize like, no, the guy's like not in the place to commit. It's like, well, yeah, fuck him. But also like maybe at yeah. year one, you should have said I'm a hundred percent looking for a person who's ready to commit. And if you're not that, maybe we should reconsider. Right. And yeah. it's sort of like in a friendship way too, of like, I've lost, and I say this and, and it's not easy to talk about. I've lost people that I like friendships that I cherish so much. Um, because I spoke my needs and they weren't down for it. Um, 
and it was terrifying and heartbreaking. And still, I still think about it to this day of like, man, I really miss that the camaraderie we had or. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're a really cool human, Alex. You're a really cool human. Like I, I love how you show up in this world. So here's the thing. Um, thank you. So here's the thing. We have a Spotify playlist for this podcast. Okay. And when you are feeling maybe like you're, you know, ugly crying on the bathroom floor and you get yourself pumped up because you need to go speak on a stage, you need to do all the things. Um, what's a good jam that makes you just like get up and, and bump it. (laughs) It's so funny. Like every few months, my answer would change to that. Yeah. So right now, what is it in this moment? The past three months. It's like an old song. Um, Your love keeps lifting me higher. Oh, that's a good one. And it's so. And what's nice is that when I hear the words, like I'm thinking, like the your is actually not a human being. It's like the world or the universe or your higher power. Mm. Like, like to just be, like I when I hear that song, that's what I feel, and the Beautiful. song. Yeah, I just love everything about that song. So good. Okay, and to close this up, any last little nugget that you want to share and with the woman who's got a dream on her heart that she just needs to go, she needs just to go get it. She needs a little Alex fire under her butt to go. What do you, what do you want to tell her? You're doing great. Yeah. The fact that you're even listening to this an hour in means that there's a part of you that knows you're on your path. And if you're feeling inner dread, tension, an inner tug of war, congratulations. It means that you care. Congratulations. You're in a fertile ground for growth and for change. If you didn't care, first of all, you even clicked on this podcast. You saw the title and you're like, huh, and you click. And then you listened an hour in. You, there's a thousand million things you could be doing right now to distract yourself. You just gave an hour of your attention. Congratulations. You're winning oh, yeah. right now. And it might you're not, winning. you know, the tree might not have fruit. The fruit might have fallen. A squirrel might be eating your fruit, whatever. Who knows what stage in the journey you are in? But the ground is fertile for you. Congratulations. Keep going. Amazing advice. I love this. So for those of you that did hang out with us for an hour, take us on Instagram. Um, I'll link everything in the show notes. Alex Benayan, you can find him there. Anything else that you, um, obviously they can go pick up your book anywhere books are sold, but anything else you want to direct them to your website, what's going on in your world? Yeah. If they end up, you know, listening to this all the way through and getting the book, let me know that you heard yeah. it here. Um, yeah, Instagram is at Alex Benayan. Same with Twitter. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate This is you. such, such a joy. Yay. Thank you so much for listening in. If you love this episode, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with a girlfriend. Like, send it to her right now or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out. I am so freaking grateful to be on this journey with you, girl. So until next time, I'll talk to you soon.